0: And our third reading tonight is from Luke chapter 2 and verses 1 to 14. It's just over the page. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria and everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them at the inn. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to those on whom his favour rests."
1: Thanks, Joe. Good evening, everyone. Um, I'm Joe, and um, it's great to be with you tonight. We've had several weeks, haven't we, of Christmas songs playing in every shop we walk into, so I think we're ready tonight for a game of Guess the Christmas Song. If you know this song, put up a hand, and we'll see um, how quick we can get it. Okay, we're ready. Candles burning low, lots of mistletoe, lots of snow and ice everywhere we go. not doing very well, are we? (laughs) Choirs singing carols right outside my door. All these things and more. All these things and more. That's what Christmas means to me, my love. (laughs) I thought we'd do better at that, to be honest, but there we go. Now, that song uh, was first sung by Stevie Wonder in 1967 and has been covered many times, hasn't it? Too many, uh, some of you might say. But it sums up what we love about Christmas candles, mistletoe, snow, ice, carols. We're we're here tonight at a carol service. I'm guessing that some of you like singing carols or that you've been dragged along. Uh, We might want to add to that list other meaningful things at Christmas, like Christmas jumpers, Christmas dinner, time with family, gingerbread lattes at Starbucks, so that that might be hard to get into a song. (laughs) Christmas means lots of things, doesn't it, for each one of us. But we're here tonight at a Christian carol service, and I have a short time to try and convince you that the most meaningful thing about Christmas is the events that happened 2,000 years ago in a little town called Bethlehem. Now I'm sure lots of us know these events from Christmas plays and things that we've attended over the years. The shepherds, the stable, the star, the swaddling clothes wrapping a baby in a manger. But I want to peel back the curtains tonight and show you that in this seemingly ordinary event, two people having a baby, that we find the answer to what life is all about. Now I don't know what this year has been like for you, running up to Christmas, whether it's been filled with Christmas cheer and laughter, or whether it's been filled with tears and heartbreak, I imagine some mixture of the two. Well I want to invite you to journey back with me to Bethlehem all those years ago because here we find a promise of certain hope and solid joy and lasting peace in the birth of a real baby. Now that might sound crazy to you this evening that the meaning not just of Christmas but of life is found here. But I'm convinced convinced it's true and the person who perhaps invited you tonight who's a Christian is convinced that it's true And there are loads of people in this church family who are convinced as well, and I want to show you why tonight. Now we're going to look at Luke's Gospel this evening that we just heard read, and I want to say up front that we're dealing with a historical account of Jesus' life here in Luke's Gospel. He's not writing myth or fable. Luke is a historian writing a real historical account with real people. We heard in our reading, didn't we, the mention of Caesar Augustus and Quirinius, the governor of Syria, and the census that was taken across the Roman world. We have a real couple from Bethlehem who are expecting their first child. And there are real shepherds in a real field with actual sheep that say bar. (laughs) And in the context of this real historical account comes the most extraordinary revelation from heaven. God wants us to know that in these events... The stable, the manger, the baby. In these events, something huge is taking place. Now, the first thing that happens when Jesus is born is that God receives glory. God receives glory. Now, just look down with me, um, if you could pick up your uh, order of service, and look at verses 13 and 14 at the end of that reading um, that we just had from Joe. We're going to be focusing on those two sentences at the end, um, 13 and 14, and I'm going to read those again. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to those on whom his favour rests. Something huge is taking place. Now we know that because we've got angels. Angels are God's heavenly messengers who appear at significant moments in the Bible to speak from God. They are heavenly heralds proclaiming the word of God. And the reason they appear and speak is because these events need an interpretation. We need a heavenly commentary to understand what's going on. Now a few years ago I went to see an Aussie rules football game. I'm sorry to mention the word football only 24 hours after last night, but it was an Aussie rules football game um, in Sydney. I'd never seen a game of Aussie rules football before. I don't know whether you have, but it's utterly bizarre. They bounce the ball like basketball, they kick the ball like football, then they kick it between the posts like rugby, and it's all played on a cricket-shaped pitch. I mean, what's, <laughs> what's going on? I was there on my own, without a guide, without an interpreter. Um, I didn't have the foggiest idea what was going on, but I had a replica shirt, and I sat there in the crowd, cheering along with everyone else. (laughs) Now, do you see that we face a similar problem when it comes to the events of Christmas? Without an interpretation, all we have is a random first-century town called Bethlehem with two ordinary people, Mary and Joseph, who give birth to a baby. It seems insignificant. But the angels are tuning us in to the commentary from heaven because God wants to open our eyes to what is really going on. So we have angels. That's the first sign that something huge is taking place. But we don't just have angels. We have an army of angels in verse 13. That's what Luke means by a company of the heavenly host. This is a great gathering of God's heavenly army. Back in verse 9, one angel appeared to the shepherds and the glory of the Lord shone around. But now a whole army joins in this heavenly announcement. Now we need to know that these aren't cherubs or little children like our uh, nativity plays suggest. These are warriors from heaven gathered in an awesome revelation of the splendor of God. And to have so many angels appearing at one time to one group of people is completely unique in the story of the Bible. Something huge is going on here. But the clearest sign that this is a momentous event is is in the words of the angels. So I want you to have a look at verse 14 with me. The host of angels joined together, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest. Now to give glory to God means to give him praise. Praise. It is to recognize his worth and honor and to honor him for who he is. And so here we have a vast army of angels lifting their voices in praise of God. Now, the question is why? What's going on at this moment in history that prompts the praise of this heavenly army? Well, we read about it, didn't we, in our reading? It's the birth of a baby. Now, throughout history, there have been some pretty important births of babies with some very lavish celebrations that have gone with them, but the world has never seen anything like this, has it? A baby is born, and the armies of heaven gather to sing praise to God. A baby is born, and the skies light up with the splendor of God. A baby is born, and the angels explode in celebration. Our world has never seen anything like this. God is addressing Earth about the significance of Jesus, and He is tuning us in to the commentary from heaven. Now, before we move on um, to the next bit, I, I just want to recognise a few basic truths that we're seeing here in these verses that we've seen so far. Firstly, there is a spiritual realm. That's what we're seeing in these verses. A Christian is someone who can say with Robbie Williams, I believe in angels, but probably in a very different sense to what he was singing about. There is a spiritual realm. That's what we're seeing here. Second, these verses tell us that there is a God who reigns in heaven. And third, that this God is worthy of all praise and honor. Here we have spiritual beings far greater than ourselves, higher and purer, joining together in praise to declare the worth and value of God. We live in a world where there is a God who deserves honour from his creation. But what is God doing at this point in history? What is God doing? Why do the angels choose this moment to declare God's worth and value and glory? Well, that's what we'll see in the next half of verse 14. At this first Christmas, God receives glory. But there's a second reality that I want us to grasp tonight. We receive peace. We receive peace. Now, I want to give you uh, two words to think about, the word Christmas and the word peace. Now, they're two words that we often put together, aren't they? Christmas and peace. We might think of the football game, the football game, I'm so sorry, that was played uh, during World War I. England and Germany laying aside their weapons on Christmas Day and having a kick-around between the trenches. Christmas and Peace. Or we might think of the John Lennon and Yoko Ono Christmas song, And So This Is Christmas. I won't get you to work that one out by doing the lyrics again. Um, But they sing this, And so this is Christmas, war is over, For weak and for strong, if you want it. The rich and the poor ones, war is over, Let's stop all the fights now. Do you see, Christmas and peace, they're often brought together, aren't they? And yet, I imagine that in reality, many of us don't quite associate Christmas with peace. We have a toy reindeer that comes down from the loft every Christmas time. Um, It's a reindeer that walks and dances and plays the song, Here Comes Santa Claus, really loudly, again and again and again. And because we have four children who love pressing the button on this reindeer, um, there has been very little peace in our household. But our search for peace goes much deeper than that, doesn't it? I imagine that some of us are approaching Christmas with feelings of deep anxiety and worry. Maybe there's ongoing conflict in your life at the moment with those who are closest to you. Maybe your mind goes to war torn countries around the world. Some of you here tonight might have fled from those countries. And the thought of peace at Christmas time just feels like a fairy tale. And yet here we are in Luke's gospel with the angels appearing to these shepherds, proclaiming glory to God with one simple message for humanity, on earth, peace. God declares that Jesus is here to bring peace. But you might be asking quite rightly, where is the peace that is promised here? Where is the peace offered to our world? Just look at our own lives, look at the events that are going on in the world around us. And we'll have to say, can these words really be true? Can Christmas and peace really belong together? Well, I want to look closely at these words in verse 14 with you to make sure we really know what's being promised by the angels. Now, I don't think we're talking about political peace in the here and now. Jesus will say later on in Luke's Gospel that nation will continue to rise against nation. Even after he's coming, it's not political peace that he's talking about. Neither is it psychological peace. The angels aren't promising an end to our anxieties and worries in life. What is it they're talking about then? Well, I think they're announcing here a peace that is even deeper than these things. The carol that we'll sing at the end of tonight, Hark the Herald, captures it well. We'll be singing these words later on. Peace on earth and mercy mild... God and sinners reconciled. That's the peace the angels are declaring. It's a promise of peace and reconciliation with our creator God. So just cast your minds to Mary and Joseph at this moment, holding their baby son in their arms. Well, the angels are saying that they are holding the one who will bring peace between God and humanity. That's what the angels are announcing. But I want you to look carefully at verse 14 with me because the angels make it clear that not everyone will enjoy this peace and reconciliation with God. Do you see? It's not just peace on earth that the angels announce. Have a look at it again with me, verse 14. It is peace to those on whom his favor rests. Not peace for all, but peace for some. It is for those on whom God's favor rests, which of course begs the question: whom does God's favor rest upon? Now, I think this is one place where we can go wrong in our understanding of Christianity, because we imagine that God's favor should fall on people who are full of good deeds, people who deserve something from God, people who are nice and hard-working and generous and kind. Surely it's those people who enjoy the favour of God. Surely those people are at peace with God. Maybe you'd include yourself in that group. But if we think that's what's going on, we've really misunderstood the message of Jesus. I want to tell you a story um, to try and illustrate this for you. I remember one Christmas time, I was probably about eight or nine years old, and I decided that that Christmas, one Advent calendar wasn't going to be enough chocolate for me that year. So I found my brother's advent calendar, which was hiding away in my parents' room, and I I took the calendar from the room and opened the cardboard at the top of the advent calendar, (laughs) slid out the plastic that was in there, and proceeded to eat every one of those 25 chocolates in the advent calendar of my brother's. Put the plastic back, sealed at the top of the cardboard, and put it back. Now, for my brother knew, he was going to be opening the windows on the calendar on the December the 1st and enjoying a nice chocolate. Uh, little did he know. <laughs> I was a terrible brother. You don't have to tell me. Now, I want you to imagine that each door on that Advent calendar is a, door, um, is a day in your life. And that God is the one opening those doors of the calendar to see what he would find. What would he find? Would he find chocolate? Would he find a heap of good things that he would be pleased with? Or would he find those doors empty? Well, the Bible makes clear that those doors would be empty for every one of us, for me and for you. We might have done some good things in this life, but mixed in with the good things that we've done is all the things we have thought and said and done that have offended God. Just think back to the angels declaring the worth and honour and praise of God. He is a God who deserves that. And yet, none of us have lived that way, have we? We're like ungrateful children at Christmas. We've taken the good things that God has given us in this world, and we haven't given a thought to the one who has given them. And all of that means that we are not naturally at peace with God. We have not lived to glorify him and so we deserve not his peace but his punishment. God's favour does not naturally rest on me or on you. Which makes this heavenly announcement all the more astounding because the angels gather here to proclaim peace and favour from God. God is at work in history through Jesus to make peace with humanity. But how can a God who deserves all praise make peace with people who deserve his punishment? That's the big question. How can God do that? Now to understand the answer to that question, we need to journey on a little bit further in Luke's gospel. Because the story doesn't end here at the birth of Jesus. Luke's story is a story from Bethlehem to Jerusalem from Jesus' birth to Jesus' death. And as we journey with Jesus through Luke's Gospel, and I I encourage you to do that, um, we've got a stack of these um, over in the hall when you leave. Luke's Gospels, please do pick one up and read, like Sam was encouraging us to do. If you do, you'll come face to face with a person, Jesus Christ, unlike anyone you have ever met. Luke writes that Jesus grew up in the favour of God. The same words that is used there in verse 14. Jesus always lived in right relationship with God. He honoured God, worshipped him, loved him, lived for him. He lived with that advent calendar full of chocolate, if I can put it like that. And yet Jesus journeys very deliberately to his death. Because he knows that his death is the place where peace would be established between God and humanity. It was there on the cross that Jesus died to take our place under the punishment of God, experiencing God's anger for our sin. And in doing so, he trades places with humanity. He died so that we can experience life with God. He was punished so that we might have peace. And so to go back to verse 14, who are the people on whom God's favour rests? Well, it's Jesus, first of all. And then it's every person who recognises their need of him and who trusts in him. That is why Christmas and peace really can be put together. Because on a day in real history, there was born a real baby who would grow up to die a real death for real sinners so that we might receive true and lasting peace with a glorious God so I want to ask you as we come to an end tonight will you tune in to this message from heaven will you tune in all around the world are Christian believers who have heard the announcement of the angels who have trusted in the one who lived and died for them and who have received God's offer of peace will you join them And will you join in this song of the angels, giving glory to God for the birth of Jesus? I'd love you to keep thinking about the things that we've been hearing tonight. Um, Danny's going to suggest a few ways you can do that in a few minutes. But we're going to have some time now to reflect on what we've heard as the music team lead us in a song. Please do remain seated as they uh, play for us. And these words are an invitation to come and accept the offer of peace with God. We're going to be hearing these words in the bridge that I think are helpfully sort of sum up what we've seen. His promise is peace for those who believe. Thank you so much for listening tonight and let me wish you a very Merry Christmas and a very Happy New Year. Thank you.